0: Amen. Thank you so much, June. Friends, today we start a new series. And please, can I encourage you, if at home you've got your Bibles, get them out to Philippians, Um, the letter of Philippians. I always feel like um, starting a new series is a bit like opening a brand new box of chocolates. Do you know what I mean? Um, And just the expectation of what lies ahead. Um, and all the different flavors and all the things that we're going to receive. And I do genuinely get a sense that God is going to want to speak through this series on Philippians. Paul's letter in lockdown um, entitled it Chains, Faith and Fellowship. These are the things that he wrestles with and teaches on here. But I get a sense this morning particularly is about discerning something afresh about who you are. In Christ, and who we are as his church it 's a new perspective for some for others, it will be a reminder of something you knew, but perhaps have forgotten a fresh discernment this morning for about who you really are in Jesus and who we are as His church, even in this time of lockdown and before we start before we peel open the box and get going. Um, I want to uh, think just for a moment, two moments, about V Day that we celebrated Friday. We recognize this extraordinary major national event where everyone came together to celebrate the end of war on the European continent. And it was a national effort and it was a national celebration. And we owe so much collectively to that generation for the freedoms and the democracy we have. But it's so easy when we look back now with hindsight to only see the big picture and to forget that this was also a very personal experience for individuals. And I was really quite moved. Gary Birch, you remember, our minister, um, uh, uh, who is now an army padre, um, just posted uh, his grandfather's diary entry for this day or the day before VE Day. Um, And I was really struck by it, just how personal it was. He writes this, Arthur writes, Monday, 7th, May 1945 I'm writing this sitting on a bed Mabel is by my side little Geoffrey is asleep in the cot in a little chalet on top of a steeply sloping Cornish hillside and he describes uh, where he is at um, down in the valley all looks calm and although history has just been made the valley is still as beautiful and has not changed one bit Mabel has been here just a week and now tonight on the nine o'clock news the most fitting piece of information for the enjoyment of a holiday has just come through Germany, after six years of war, has surrendered unconditionally to Britain, US, and the USSR. How do we feel? No different, I'm afraid. No crowds, no cheering, and only a shiver of excitement down the spine to denote any difference at all. I think I saw a tear in the eye of the elderly lady at supper, the one who lost her husband in the Blitz on London. Truly a sad moment for such as she. Meanwhile, Mr Churchill speaks tomorrow at three o'clock to announce officially that all is ended in Europe. I look forward to a day's holiday tomorrow and hope it is fine so that we can take Geoffrey to the beach. Perhaps more excitement will come when we get out of this uniform. That is what the end of war really means. May it hurry on. Extraordinarily honest account, isn't it, of how he felt? No hype, no show. Just for him, a shiver of excitement down the spine, but still a longing for the day when the war would truly end and the uniforms would come off. May it hurry on, he finishes, a national and significant moment that was also so personal and so real. And, you know, friends, we're going through a national, international, significant moment at the moment right now. But it's all affecting us personally, too, isn't it? We all have our stories to tell. No doubt our children's children will look back and read on the great coronavirus of 2020 and they'll see and read the old headlines and newspaper cuttings. And they'll look at the figures and the significant uh, breakthroughs and celebrations and difficulties that we went through and tragedies. But I wonder what would a personal letter from this season be like? What would a letter that you wrote contain right now? Personal longing. Struggle. Pains and uncertainty. Probably all of those longing for the day of coronavirus over where we can be together again, worshipping together, seeing our families celebrating, eating together. May it hurry on, as Arthur wrote in his diary. This is a moment of huge worldwide significance, but it's also a personal moment for each one of us. And it's with this in mind that this morning, as we just start a little amus bouche, a soup soupçon, a taste, a flavour of all that Philippians has ahead for us, I want us to bring in mind that perspective as we begin to understand just what we've got here in this letter to the Philippians. It's easy to come and see just the big picture of the Bible. Well, this is just another book in the Bible written by some great giant called Paul, who was amazing at writing the Bible, and it's God's Word, and we just sweep through and we forget that actually. This was a very personal and real letter written by a real and personal brother, just like me, just like you guys, an ordinary human being. In a time that was really quite difficult for him, he'd had a really mixed up experience since coming to know Jesus. He had had such joys and breakthroughs and such trials and hardships, and yet he kept going. He kept going. And he writes this particular letter at a particular time of trial for him and peril. Uh, Many times he'd been chased out and booed and hissed and tried to be stoned and sometimes even locked in jail overnight or for a short period of time. But now here, as he writes this letter, this is a significant jail sentence that he is now going through. He's chained up almost certainly in Rome. And this time he knows he's facing one of two certain outcomes, either acquittal and freedom or death. This is Paul's Letter written from lockdown. I wonder what would a letter like this contain? Personal struggle, longing, uncertainty? Yes, all of those. And it does, Do you know, as we go through it, we'll see that. But amazingly, it also contains enormous amounts of joy. Sixteen times the word joy or rejoice is used. It contains gratitude. It contains confidence and praise. One commentator called Paul here the happiest man in all of Rome. Now I don't know about that, but he might just well have been because certainly he had something extraordinary and unexpected that was holding him through this moment with genuine thanksgiving and joy. We might be quick to say, Matt, I know the answer to that is obvious. It's Jesus. It's his personal faith. That's what carried him through. And I want to say, yes, you're right. But you're only partly Right. Because in this letter, Paul emphasizes that the reason for his joy is something perhaps we don't expect. The thing that he says in this letter, the thing that's keeping him going and giving him joy and thanksgiving, is his church family, particularly the one in Philippi, love him and are cheering for him and are keeping him going. Yes, he's unable to be with them. Philippi and Rome is about a seven week journey. But they are the gift from Jesus that Paul gives us his reason for his thanksgiving and joy during this season. This family of believers, this gift from God means the world to Paul, as we will see in this beautiful personal letter. And so he writes this letter to thank them for their love and their support, to encourage them, to teach them. Thank you for sending Aphrodites who came, Epaphrodites even, um, to come and be with them, sent from the Philippian church to come and support him whilst he's in lockdown. This letter gives us such an insight into his love and genuine care for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. But let's have a quick bit of background to the Philippian church. I have lots I want to say this morning, so I'm going to whiz through some of these bits and try and keep it short. Um, but I sense God's wanting to say a few things to us. But let's quickly understand the background to the Philippian church. And Paul begins this letter by saying to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. He's not writing just to the leaders as if they're more important. He's writing to all of God's holy ones. That's what he calls them. And actually, that's quite a surprise in some ways that he calls them that. Um, it's quite amazing because they're a ragtag bunch, to say the least. You see, when this was the first church Paul founded in Europe, and you can read about it in Acts 16, I commend you, please, this week, go grab Acts 16. Won't take you long, and it'll give you a great foundation and understanding of how the church in Philippi was first formed by Paul. If you remember, he had that vision from the man from Macedonia, modern day uh, Greece, to call him over saying, come and help us. So he and Timothy, his sidekick, went over and they went to Philippi, which was an enormously important Uh, city. It was actually a Roman colony. In 42 BC, it was Octavian and Antony, yes, as in Antony and Cleopatra, who founded this as a Roman colony. And it meant that they had enormous privileges. There were a huge amount of war veterans that lived there, Roman citizens, Roman law, Roman dress, Roman pagan gods. This was an enormously uh, pagan and Privileged place, and Paul turns up there with Timothy and he finds not even a synagogue, which is where he'd normally start in sharing the good news of Jesus. So he goes out the city and and, and by the river finds some women praying, and there he begins to tell them about Jesus the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, Uh, calls them to put their trust in Him. And Lydia, a rich lady, uh, does that, and then she opens up her home, and the church is now formed. And on top of that, there's a slave girl who is filled with an evil spirit that he casts out of her. And presumably she may have joined the church. And then later, when he's caused such trouble, the jailer that is now looking after him just for a short time in that jail overnight, um, he becomes a Christian and all of his family and presumably they join the church as well. And the church grows. And this bunch of licorice, all sorts, begin meeting together and praying together and worshipping Jesus together together and they become one of the most beloved church families Paul could ever ask for. And so he begins the letter by declaring to them all, hey, holy ones, not just the leaders, not just the educated ones, not the posh ones or the rich ones, but all of them, the slaves, the blue-collar workers, the uneducated, the clumsy, the foolish, holy ones, all holy ones. And Paul isn't just giving them a nice compliment here, because in Christ, that is who they now are. They've become holy ones. I don't know about you, but it's a difficult title to receive that. Somebody calls you a holy one. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it has happened to me now. I think of holy ones, people dressed in robes in big cathedrals um, or the saints of old or something like that with a halo around their head. I certainly don't think of me. But Tony, who did our prayers today, um, would call me uh, quite often when we met at church just in the morning or in the evening. He would say, uh, good morning, holy one. And I remember the first time he said it. I was taken aback thinking, oh, I don't like that. It's Like it edifies me or builds me up as a leader, as if as if I'm something special. But I realized what he was saying was biblical. And actually, I am a holy One in Jesus, and so's He. And so I called him it back. So he'd say, "Hello, Holy One." and I'd say, "Hello, holy One. Um, it's not an easy thing to receive, but that's who you are. I want you to hear this morning: if you love Jesus, you are a holy one. Not because you pray for five hours a day, or because you never make any mistakes or you live perfectly. I guess this is you've done but a holy one, because in Jesus, you are now part of his family, set apart, forgiven, made new. And he declares over you that you are fully righteous. When Father God looks at you, he sees Jesus, the righteousness, the beauty, the goodness and perfection of Jesus. And so you are declared holy one, filled with the living presence of God. Boy, none of us Live anywhere near up to that title. But it doesn't stop it being true, friends. Because of Jesus, because of his love, his grace and mercy, because of the cross and the faith he has given us, we, you, I, are holy ones. I want you to pause just for a moment and just think. I mentioned Tony. I want you just to think. Let some of the faces of folks from our fellowship, and if you're not part of our fellowship, think about brothers and sisters, Christians that you know, either in your church um, uh, near you and just let some of their faces pass by your mind's eye and as you do that I want you just to say in your head you're a holy one to them you're a holy one declare in your heart you're a holy one because they love Jesus they are so just do that for a moment And just think of the people sat in their homes right now people we know and love part of the fellowship and as they're Faces pop into your head. I just want you to declare in your heart, holy one, holy one, beautiful one, loved one. And if you do have a pen with you and you do take notes, I want you just to write down the words holy one. And in this moment, I want you to, in your heart, say that about yourself. It may be the first time you've ever said this. It may feel uncomfortable. Just say in your heart, I'm a holy one. I'm a holy one, set apart, beautiful, loved, righteous in Jesus, fully forgiven. Because I believe Father God would want you to know that today. No matter how you're doing, no matter how your faith is, if you're struggling, whether you feel weak or strong, I believe Father God would want to say to you, you're a holy one. Love my son. You love him a little, you want to love him more. In him, because of him, you are a holy one. There's something else that Paul um, calls uh, the Philippians in this letter that has really struck me this week. And I wish I had half an hour to unpack what I'm going to say, but I'm going to try and say enough um, to let Jesus speak to our hearts this morning. The thing he calls them is partners in the gospel. We could bring up that title. Thank you, Richard. Partners in the gospel. Now, what on earth is a partner in the gospel? Well, when we look at someone like Timothy, it's easy, isn't it? Paul and Timothy. Timothy was his sidekick. Timothy and Paul were like Batman and Robin. Timothy went everywhere with him and he was with him when he planted the church in Philippians and travelled around with him. And now he's with him now in lockdown as well. Um, that's clearly what a partner in the gospel is. But actually, Paul doesn't stop there. He calls them all, all of the Philippians, partners in the gospel. And that gives him such joy and thankfulness. Let me read from verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, for Paul, this wasn't just a church that held services that certain folk attended. No, this was a fellowship of believers who partnered with it in celebrating and sharing the good news of Jesus. The Greek word used for partnership here is koinonia. Some of you would have heard it and if I had big slides I'd have brought it up so it's an easier word to see, Greek word. It's one of the words we uh, refer to church um, as. It's normally translated fellowship when Paul uses it, koinonia, fellowship. The trouble is with the word fellowship for us today is that we kind of misuse it. We say that after service, and I say this all the time, Uh, let's now have a time of fellowship. What we really mean is good natter and a bourbon biscuit, as if that's what fellowship is. The word Paul uses here means so much more. The koinonia were a fellowship of believers that were deeply held together by a shared and common task, something they all were committed to and contributed to, they were a fellowship committed to one another. And they were a fellowship committed to the gospel, the message and the good news about Jesus Christ, the euangelion, the gospel. They were the koinonia of the euangelion, to use the Greek. The good news that God actually loves this world. He's not given up. He's real. And more than just real, he is good. He is kind. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, who came and showed his love. Who stepped into our brokenness and brings healing and new life. Jesus, who lived the perfect life that none of us could live and then died the death that you and I deserved for us so that we don't have to. And in doing so, he took away our sin, our brokenness, our guilt, our shame. He gave us new life, hope, forgiveness, joy. And we become part of a family of brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, his body and his kingdom, his rule, his justice, his goodness is now breaking into this world. And is part of the task that we have and we share in all together. This sharing of the good news of Jesus that his kingdom is breaking in, that lives can be transformed, communities, families can be transformed by God's love, and that one day his kingdom will come in full, a bit like a VE day times a billion. We will celebrate as he wipes every tear from our eyes. Jesus is the one who rewrites our story from mess and brokenness to hope and forgiveness, a new life. He is making all things new and he calls you, if you don't know him this morning, to trust him. To say, yes, Jesus, even this morning, this is the good news. I will trust you, Jesus. You are my Lord. Forgive me of my mess and there's plenty of it. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying in my place. Now come and fill me with your spirit and help me to become part of the fellowship of the gospel now and to share your love with others this is the good news and for Paul this is what the church is a fellowship a partnership committed to sharing this gospel this good news I wonder how do you view church I haven't got time to go into this bit but is it a building hilarious the building's gone as Tony prayed it's so much more than a building we can't even pretend it is at the moment we don't have one Is it primarily a service to attend, something to pep up your personal faith? Is it a charity that does good works? Is it a resource? Is it something to complain about, something that's not good enough or exciting enough or or polished enough? Or is it a messy and real family on a mission together, a ragtag fellowship of holy ones committed to one another and the task of living out and celebrating and sharing the good news of Jesus? You know, in this time when so much of what we thought and took for granted about church has been shaken up. I think it's something God wants to do in each of us to reshape our understanding, give us new discernment, even this morning about what church actually is, who we are and who we are together. We are a fellowship together. I'm going to be quick on this bit, but I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings or read the books. It's an amazing story. If we can bring the picture up, written by a Christian, J.R. Tolkien. It paints the most amazing picture of what a fellowship really looks like. This is what it's called the Fellowship of the Ring. And as you'll look here, um, they are a ragtag bunch. There's a powerful wizard. There are two mighty warriors. There is an elegant and, and wise elf. There is a grumpy and bad-tempered bearded dwarf. And there are four small, pretty, unimpressive, hairy-footed hobbits. And this lot permit can be destroyed so that the world could be saved and they go through it all together and it's difficult and they struggle and they fight together and laugh together and cry together but they work together because there is a bond that unites them in this fellowship this common task and they make it just and Paul says that's what the church is like not the fellowship of the ring but the fellowship of the gospel I wonder this morning in this moment Let's take a moment to think. Who do you feel like when it comes to church and your part in the fellowship? Mighty warrior, a grumpy bearded dwarf. Maybe you've got the beard, maybe you're not so grumpy. But perhaps you really feel more like a tiny, unimpressive hobbit with hairy feet and good intentions, but not very impressive at all. You might say I'm no giant preacher, I'm no evangelist or spiritual giant. I struggle in my own faith, if I'm honest, let alone sharing it with others. I want to tell you this morning that in the Lord of the Rings, it's the determined love, commitment and friendship, the faithfulness of the little hairy footed hobbits that win the day. And it's clear that the Philippians were not great traveling evangelists like Paul. They weren't amazingly trained church leaders like Timothy. Even when they sent one of their friends to Paul in lockdown, Epaphrodites turned out he just got Pauly and he had to go home. It wasn't very good at all. But boy, did it encourage Paul. Boy, they were still there for Paul's commitment. It was their faith. It was their quiet. And wonderful support that made them heroes and partners of the gospel for Paul. They prayed for him, supported him, encouraged him, cheered him on and were living out the gospel where they were the best they could. All in it together, sharing it with those around. All committed to the love and good news of Jesus. I wonder if it's time that we re-understood church in this way. Not just a place for the good news with Creech and Taunton, North Petherton, the surrounding villages and towns. Let's take a moment just to think about our church. Think about those faces again. Just let them come in front of you, pass by your mind's eye. See the faces, hear their voices, their laughter perhaps, their beards. Yes, we've got some good beards in the church. George, you know I'm talking about you. Their smiles. And I want you to just re-express your commitment to them. I want you to say in your mind's eye, in your heart, as you see the pictures of folks from church go by, I want you just to say you're a partner in the gospel. You're a partner in the gospel. And if you don't have time now, which we don't really, I want you to do this later on, if you don't mind, maybe in your prayer time, just let the church go by your eyes and just thank God for them. Lord, I thank you for them, for this person that I can see now I'm picturing. They are a partner in the gospel and I commit to them Maybe you've never realised that you're a partner in the gospel. Maybe this morning it's the first time you might use those words about yourself. I am a partner in the good news, in sharing it, in living it out, in celebrating the good news of Jesus. I want to ask you a very personal question this morning. Are you committed to the fellowship, to the church, to Jesus, to his body? Imperfect, messy, ragtag, holy ones. If you've not been baptised yet, you have not become a member or maybe we'll call it in the future partner in the gospel what's Jesus saying this morning even in this season of course he's going to want to speak and stir us in this season maybe it's time would you email me this week if that's you say Matt I do want to get baptized Matt I do want to become a member or a partner in the gospel at Creech friends I'm going to finish here I have so much more that I could share from this passage Paul, let me finish with Paul's words. In all my prayers for you, he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Friends, it's not just a task that binds us together, but it's a person. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who loves you as much as he loves me. And he puts that love in our hearts. It's Jesus who is shaping the church and building it. And he will, will not stop this good work that he is doing in us. He will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, take that verse for yourself. He will not fail you. He will carry on the good work he's done in you personally. But boy, don't drop out of church or give up on church if you're struggling. Because that's also what he's building. This fellowship of believers that love one another passionately, that pray for one another, encourage one another, are committed to Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Yes, there's going to be trouble, trouble without, trouble within. We're going to argue, we're going to fight, we're going to wind each other up. But the gospel has given us all that we need to commit to one another, grace and forgiveness, patience, understanding the Holy Spirit at work and most of all, love love of jesus for one another and there will be trouble without times where our favor is good with those around us times where we are not in favor times of lockdown and chains times of coronavirus but coronavirus and chains cannot stop this fellowship cannot break this fellowship because we are in christ we are family together jesus is the one who holds us together and that doesn't change friends i believe this morning is a moment to rethink church to rethink our place our commitment your commitment To remember that you are a holy one and to commit again to this ragtag bunch of believers called Creech Baptist Church. And yes, we are ragtag, filled and loved, filled with the Holy Spirit, loved by Jesus and partners together in sharing the good news. I wonder what that means in this season and what it means in the season to come. Let us discern together. Let us ask God. Let him stir in you these things this week. Friends, I want to finish with this prayer. And then we'll have a, a final song and I'll pray a blessing. Um, but this is the prayer that Paul finishes this first section with. Philippians has got this most amazing bracket between beautiful prayer at the beginning and the encouragement to prayer at the end. It's an extraordinary letter, as we will find out. But this is his prayer and it's a prayer for us to love more, to discern more the things of God who we really are. Who we are as church, who he is, to discern what is best for us together, to be filled with the spirit, to bear more fruit of righteousness. We are already righteous and holy, but to bear the fruit of that, to become more of who we are until the day when he comes again. And may it, har- may it hurry on in the words of Arthur from the beginning. May it hurry on the day when the good news is known by all. So let me pray for you and for us right now. Paul's prayer. And ours for this moment. This is my prayer that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.